Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. You have your Bible. We'll be in James chapter 5, verse 16. James chapter 5, verse 16. I can't tell you how honored I am to be here today. Uh, Your president is a personal friend from the time I first met him. I knew that uh, he had a kindred spirit in terms of his focus, commitment, passion, and burden for taking the gospel to the nations. And uh, Dr. Aiken has been one of those friends that uh, while I wish I could live next door to he and Miss Charlotte, um, that's not where God has placed us in the kingdom, but has been one of those friends that I've known since I met him that whatever I needed, if I spoke to him about it, if there was any way he could help me, he would. And I have also that commitment to him. Just two illustrations that sometimes you as students wouldn't know about, maybe even faculty wouldn't know about. But uh, there was a time I was burdened for our missionary leaders on the mission field in terms of their need for training. And I felt that we were not seeing our missionaries advance to, uh, to doctoral degrees. And yet at the same time, in order for them to get that degree, they had to come back to the state, spend extensive time here. And I personally felt like, you know, I just can't see us giving them up for that length of time. Isn't there some way a delivery system could be developed so that our uh, key missionary leaders can, can get their advanced degrees? And I spoke to Dr. Aiken about it, and um, he, his first response is always, let me see what I can do. And it's not a small thing to get a degree that's accredited appropriately by the accreditation agencies, but he and the faculty began to look at it, and Southeastern was the first seminary to offer the Ph.D. at a cohort level that allowed our missionaries from the field to get enrolled and to get their advanced degrees simply because he's that kind of partner. I was on the island of Cuba. I came back from Cuba. I'd met some, uh, some leaders there who were concerned about theological education in Cuba. And I was in the Eastern Convention. And uh, they have a facility there, and they said, we need to rejuvenate this facility. We're just being overwhelmed with the number of students that we're getting, and we don't have the faculty uh, to be able to, to do an, uh, an adequate job of training. Came back, called Dr. Aiken, spoke to him about it. Next thing I know, uh, your faculty had an advanced team go out to the island of Cuba, talk to the leadership there, and begin a partnership in developing theological education. That's the kind of friend he's been. That's the way... This school has ministered to us as partners at the International Mission Board. And so I just want you as students and faculty to know, uh, from my perspective at the International Mission Board, we, we don't have a better friend than this school. We're grateful, Dr. Aiken, for your partnership and your faculty and just the ethos of this school. <clears throat> so if you have your Bible, James chapter 5, verse 16, the time that I have allotted to me, uh, here, I want to share a little bit that um, comes out of a personal pilgrimage through the four years that Dr. Eliff asked me to serve 
as the uh, Senior Vice President for Prayer Mobilization and Training. Most of the time what we've discovered in ministry, as many here can attest to, is the longer the title, the less you do. The longer the title, the less important you are. The longer the title, the more they're trying to give you a nice way out. For instance, Dr. Platt came to the International Mission Board and asked me to be the senior vice president. Uh, you know, uh, I mean the senior ambassador, senior ambassador uh, for the president. And so I thought, well, if you have a senior ambassador, wouldn't you agree with me that seems to indicate that there would be junior ambassadors? Wouldn't you think that? Well, I thought that. Senior ambassador, so I asked Dr. Platt, I said, Dr. Platt, if you call me senior ambassador, I assume there's some junior ambassadors. Are there any junior ambassadors? He said, no, you're it. I said, so that's just your nice way of saying last old guy standing. So that, that, that's what happens when you get these fancy titles. So um, here today, James chapter 5, verse 16. This is in the time I was serving in this role with Dr. Eliff. This is a, a verse that really captured uh, my attention. And in the four years I led our School of Prayer for All Nations, this is the verse that really became a focal point for us. And this is what the text says. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. And then our author James carries on to conclude his, his book as though that statement was just a matter of fact. And that is the profound statement that I would like us to think about in our time together here this morning. Because as I went through that season, I became convinced that strategic intercession is perhaps the most underutilized weapon in the arsenal of the Great Commission. Strategic intercession perhaps is the most underutilized weapon in the arsenal of the Great Commission. When I was a little boy growing up in Africa, I'm the middle of the five boys. We were sitting at the table. My mother was a pediatrician, my dad a GP. My mama had been up at the hospital helping my dad in a surgical procedure. And uh, she came home and was fixing lunch and we were sitting around the table and mom says, boys, I want to tell you what happened at the hospital this morning. I was helping your father in a surgical procedure. I was running the suction pump. And I was trying to keep the cavity clear in the chest of this patient so that your father could, you know, complete his uh, surgical procedure of correcting the problem in this patient and said right in the middle of the procedure as your father was at a critical point in the surgery, the suction machine stopped working which meant the cavity began to fill up with fluids and your father couldn't see how to complete his surgical procedure and the patient's life was hanging in the balance. The only thing that I could do at that moment 
was to turn the power switch of the machine off, and I laid my hand on the machine, and I prayed. And I said, Lord, if you don't intervene in our circumstances today, this patient's going to die. We really need your help. And she said, boys, when I flipped the switch again, the machine began to work perfectly. I cleared the cavity. Your father completed the procedure, closed the patient, and his prognosis for recovery is good. Now, I want you to think about the impression that left on a little boy. Sitting at that table, listening to my mama tell that testimony, and the impression it had in my heart was this. The God that my mother and father have given their lives to in order to bring us here to Africa and to serve him here is a God who hears prayer. His ear is not deaf. The scripture says his arm is not short. He is a present help in time of need. Prayer is powerful. And it's not just important. Prayer is essential. And there's a difference between those two. I had a friend who was... Uh, at seminary, went to Oklahoma for some revival services, and he said he was sitting in the congregation when the evangelist asked the question, Do you believe in prayer? And he said, People around the audience, you know, raised their hands. It was a summer revival. They were very enthusiastic and, you know, whistling and clapping. Yes, prayer, prayer. And he said, That's fantastic. I'm glad I'm in the right place. And then he says, Okay, let me ask you a question. If you spent five minutes this morning in focused, concerted prayer, I want you to raise your hand. Five minutes. There <laughs> uh, are a few hands that went up around the room. And he said, how about 10 minutes? A couple of hands. How about 15 minutes? One hand. And then he said, the evangelist made this statement. He said, hit me right in the chest. He said, you do what you believe. Everything else is just religious talk. And brothers and sisters, I'll have to say to you, old Gordon Ford, he's had a lot of religious talk in his life. If you'd asked me on the mission field when my wife Leanne and I went to my own Botswana, Gordon, did you believe in prayer? Oh, yeah, I believed in prayer. Did you believe it was important? Absolutely, I believed it was important. Did you pray? Oh, yes, I prayed. But you know what I found was that more often than not, Gordon Ford prayed as though prayer was the spare wheel in the truck. In other words, when do you need a spare wheel? when you have a blowout, right? When there's a problem. And I found that in my life, at that time, that's kind of how prayer was in my life. When I would hear messages or read books in which prayer was, was listed as a spiritual discipline, then I thought of prayer as something that I need to set aside time in order to practice this discipline. So I have a disciplined time of 
quiet time when I read the Word of God in the morning and I have a time when I come to the Word of God and when I read the Word of God and I set that time aside as a discipline in my life because that's an important thing to do. But I, 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 would, I would suggest to you that prayer is not a spiritual discipline any more than my wife Leanne would feel like if I said to her, hey Leanne, let's practice some discipline because I haven't had a conversation with you in a while. So tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., I would really appreciate it if you would set aside a little time to talk to me so that you and I could practice this discipline of communication as a married couple. If you do that, you need to see my older brother, David, who's lead member care person at the International Mission Board. you got problems. If that's how you think of communication with your spouse, you got bigger problems than we can solve here today. Friends, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't treat her that way, do I? For us, communication with each other, talking and visiting and sharing with each other is a way of life, right? Because we're in relationship to each other. And I would suggest to you that when it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, it's suggesting to us as followers of Christ that prayer is a way of life. It's a relationship with the Holy God. And out of that relationship, I talk and communicate with him, and he invites me to come to his throne room. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God is all-powerful? Now, you're here at Southeastern Seminary, and I sure hope you have the right answer. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Say yes. Do you believe that? You're about, is this finals week coming up, Dr. Aiken? Bad time to skip chapel, right? I hope, I hope you didn't skip chapel. But those of you who are here, you believe he's all-powerful. I believe that. The Word of God says that. I look at creation and, and what he did when the Scripture says he spoke a word and this came into existence. I see his power displayed. So I believe he's all-powerful. Do you believe that he knows everything? He knows everything. There's nothing that he does not know. By definition of the word God, he must know everything. So he's all-powerful, and he knows everything. Do you believe that right now God sees and is acquainted intimately with every human being on this planet? He sees them, is acquainted with them, with every human being on this planet. Do you believe that? I do. The scripture says, he saw you in your mother's room when your bones were being knit together. That's, that's intimate acquaintance. God everywhere present on this planet. So he knows everything, he sees everything, and he's all powerful. So here's what haunted me in the course of the last six years. If that's true, and if I believe that, then why do I talk to him so little? Have you got somebody better to talk to? Is there someone that you know that has better contacts? Knows more? Has more wisdom? 
more counsel? Do you know someone who has more influence, who can help you get further along in your career? Brothers and sisters, this is what haunted Gordon Ford as I contemplated this. Gordon, if you really believe that, why would you not spend significant time in your life talking with him about the issues that are confronting you every day? Not only talking to him about the issues that confront me, but as a leader in the International Mission Board, thinking about the nations that have yet to hear the gospel, why would I not bring that to his attention in prayer when he's the one who says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would thrust forth labors into the field? Why would I not come and talk to him about the Sukutran people off the coast of Yemen and say, God, the Sukutran people have no missionary witness today. Please thrust labors into that field. Why would I not talk to him about the Bajta, people of Central Asia who have no missionary witness, and talk to the God of the universe who knows everything, who sees everything, who can do anything, and say to him, oh, God of the universe, you died on the cross for the Bajta people. Won't you raise up somebody with a burden in their heart to carry this good gospel to the Bajta people? Brothers and sisters, that's why I say to you, I am convinced that strategic prayer is the most underutilized weapon in the Great Commission arsenal. Tell you what happened about uh, last summer. We're at Ridgecrest with our trustees, and uh, they had asked me to lead a prayer session. So I said, uh, I would like us to focus on the beige to people. I'd like us to spend some time together. I'd research them online. I'd pull together some materials to try to give us a sense of who these people are and what their needs are and their culture, their language, and their worldview. And so I'd put that and, and brief the trustees on that. And then I had them break into groups and focus on praying the scripture for the beige to people, that God would thrust labors into the field, that the Spirit of God would be at work in the soil of the beige to people's hearts, that he would begin to create a spiritual vacuum in their hearts that would, that would lead to a longing for him and, and a desire for him. And, and so we had this season of prayer. We got through, and our affinity leader, Jim Tilton, who's responsible for that area of the world, after our prayer session, he got to thinking about it, and he said, you know what, I, I really haven't talked to anyone about the beige to people in a long time. So he went outside from our prayer meeting, sends an email to the field, to our field leadership, who are responsible for that geographic segment. And he said, he came back in, found me, and said, Gordon, you're not going to believe this. He said, while we're having prayer meeting, calling on God for the beige to people, he said, I sent an email to the field afterwards, and I just got an immediate response. He said, the field leader that I sent the email to was sitting in a meeting with a group of mission leaders from across Eastern Europe. And he said, they were looking at a list of unreached, unengaged peoples, and they were discussing amongst themselves who should we prioritize in this list in order to get the gospel to them next year. Guess who they put as the first priority? The beige to people. Four months ago, it was the turn for our friends from East Asia 
By now, the trustees are beginning to get in their minds. Guess what? Prayer works. You know the honest truth? You know why I think many times we don't, we don't pray? Is because we really don't believe it works. You remember in the book of Acts, Peter's been thrown in prison. There's a prayer meeting at the house of John Mark's mother. And they don't cease. It says they don't cease day and night to pray and call out to God for, for Peter. And guess what happens? In the night, an angel has to wake Peter up and his chains fall off. And then has to bump him to say, okay, dude, let's get out of here. And he said, he, he, he doesn't know if he's awake or asleep and or having a dream. And it says then he, 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 a door opens to his prison cell and this angel accompanies him out. He goes past the first cohort, the second cohort, comes to the, the door of the prison. It opens by itself. He goes walking out into the night air and suddenly he says, it occurs to him, I really am free. And the angel leaves him and he goes to the house of, of John Mark's mom. And there, what are they doing? Do you remember? What are they doing? Having prayer meeting, right? So he comes to the house. He's outside. He's feeling his suppose. He's an escaped prisoner. He starts knocking on the door. The servant Rhoda comes to the door to answer the door. And, and who's, who is it? And here's Peter's voice. She's so thrilled and excited. She goes back in to where the prayer meeting's taking place. She says, hey, guys, guess what? Peter's at the door. No, you're not... Don't disturb us. We're having our prayer meeting. Peter's at the door. No, no, stop, sister. We're trying to pray here. No, no, he's at the door. Oh, it's got to be his, uh, his angel. <laughs> Poor Peter. Listen, if you go to a prayer meeting where they pray for rain, you ought to take an umbrella. You see? They couldn't believe it. But after Rhoda told him and finally convinced him and they go and they open the door and they let Peter in and it is Peter. Don't you know those disciples are going around that room going, prayer really works. It really works. Friends, prayer works. So, Steve Ellis, East Asia, he comes to the prayer meeting of our trustees. And uh, we were looking at an unreached, unengaged people called the Walung Chung, the Walung Chung. And they're in an area called Walung Chung Gora up between Tibet and Nepal. So we call them to prayer. Again, get the worldview, culture, language, their context. Try to give as much information as we can so we pray with intelligence. And then the trustees go to prayer, begin to pray for the Walung Chungora. And um, two months later, the last trustee meeting about three, four weeks ago, oh, Steve Ellis comes to give a report to the trustees. And he says, you're not going to believe it. He said, we didn't even have anyone of our missionaries who were out there trying to reach the Walung Chung. 
He said, when I, after that prayer meeting, I sent a request to our cluster leader over that part of the, the area, and he said, guess what he found out? We had a journeyman who was up there, and during her two-year tenure, she had met some people in the city where she was working from this tribe and built a relationship with them. And then she came back to the States to get her education. She came back and got her education. And I forget what seminary she went to. I think it was actually here, Dr. Aiken. I could be wrong. Came back and got her education, got married, goes back to the field. And when she got back to the field, guess whose uh, burden was on her heart to reach? And when the cluster leader sent out a request to say, Steve Ellis just said they had a prayer meeting of the trustees and wants to know what's happening amongst the Walling Shungora. Here's this journeyman back on the field with her husband and says, that's the very people we came back with a burden to reach. Two months later, a couple of weeks ago, Steve Ellis comes to the trustees and he says, you guys are not going to believe this. In the last two months, 51 Walung Chungor have come to faith in Jesus Christ and been baptized. The most underutilized weapon in the Great Commission arsenal. Pray like it matters. Pray like it's not just important but essential. We're talking to the God of the universe. I can't tell you how offended I am when I come to a church where they have someone open in prayer and the person steps up to the podium or place to pray and while he's praying people start appearing on the platform here comes the praise team musicians are getting in their place they're drinking their last sip of water wonder how I know that happens sipping their water and then suddenly he says amen and we all look up and go oh wow look where did they come from now tell me what was that prayer used for? Just a segue. Just a transition. And brothers and sisters, you know what that person supposedly is doing? That person is supposedly calling on the God of the universe who created everything, knows everything, can do anything, and that person is standing in front of the people of God speaking to the sovereign of the universe while we rearrange the platform. And we wonder why we're so impoverished. Because we don't pray like we really believe it. You ever heard someone say, uh, Brother So-and-so, would you just say a quick prayer before we have our meeting? A quick prayer? Or, or even worse to me is when they say, Brother So-and-so, would you say a little prayer? A little prayer? What is that? Unbelievable. Look what happened in the book of Acts in chapter 4 when Peter was threatened and he comes down to where the church is gathered and he says to them, we have just been threatened. If you guys and us, if we keep speaking in this name, they are going to throw us into prison. They threatened to actually throw us into prison or kill us. And you know what that church did? 
The scripture says they lifted up their voice with one accord and they began to call on the God of the universe. They used the word prosukamai, pros towards, eukamai, the giving of thanks. When you read the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, here in this text, it's the word deasis. The other word given in Colossians is this word prosukamai. And in that word, you hear a word prosecute. This is what the Old Testament prophet did, Moses, when he stood before the throne of God, God having pronounced his judgment on the people and said, Moses, I'm done with these people, you and your family, I will save you and start a new generation. And Moses stands before the throne of God and he prosukamized. He prosecutes his case. He says, God, look at your character. You can't do this. What will people think of you? And Moses stands before the throne of God and prosecutes his case and God turns away and says all right you've made your point I will relent and I will not kill the people you want to surprise God there's one time in the Old Testament where it says God wondered he was surprised he was shocked do you know what surprised him? Do you know what shocked him? It says, I sought for a man among them who would stand in the gap on behalf of the people when I had pronounced my judgment upon the people, and I looked for a man among them who would stand in the breach, and I couldn't find even one person who knew me well enough, who knew my character, who knew what kind of God I am, to come and stand in the gap on behalf of the people and plead their case. And they just let the judgment fall and destroy the people. And it says, God wondered let me ask you something you don't think there's a need in our world today for someone to take a step into the gap into the breach where the enemy has come to kill to steal and destroy 3,123 unique unengaged peoples in the world today whose history has absolutely been under the purview of the enemy who has destroyed them through their generations. You don't think there might be a need for someone to come and stand in the gap on behalf of the Beached and the Wallungor and say, oh God, have mercy upon their souls and send laborers into this field and work in the soil of their heart that they may be open to the witness of the Spirit. Oh, God, draw back your hand so that they can hear. Oh, brothers and sisters, prayer is not just, it's not just important. It's essential. Oh, I exhort you, encourage you to be reminded today you know what I love about this text? I love the fact that it says the effectual fervent prayer of what? A righteous man. Doesn't take a dozen. Doesn't take a thousand. Doesn't take a million. God is looking for one. Why not 
Let that be you. He's all-powerful, knows everything. There's nothing he cannot do. You can come before the throne of grace at his invitation. You can plead your case with this God who loves us, long-suffering, merciful, kind, compassionate, tender-hearted. And then watch what he can do. Let's pray together. Father, this room full of your children, men and women who love you, giving their lives for your kingdom's purpose. Many who've come to this school to be prepared and equipped by faculty who loves you, is well-trained, nourished in your word, and in, Lord, you've brought them here to this place. Out beyond the walls of this seminary, across the street right here in Wake Forest, Raleigh-Durham area, are people who are lost. Across the state and across North America, lost. Out to the four corners of the earth, hundreds of thousands of people not the shadow of a cross in their community, not the first word translated from your good scripture into their language, not one believer in their community, lost. And today you've given us this good gospel, this treasure in our earthen vessel to declare it to the nations. And we cannot do this task unless you go with us, unless your good hand of mercy and grace rest upon us, unless your spirit empower us, we cannot do this task. And so I appeal to you, Father, that today every person in this room who's needing just a fresh touch from your throne, just a renewing of their hearts, from your throne. Maybe they've gotten bogged down, buried down with the weight of studies and learning and their spirits grown dry, that there's just a spiritual drought in their life. And today they, they've got the form without the function and they need a fresh touch from you. Oh, Father, every good and perfect gift comes from your throne of grace. And when we appeal to you, you don't measure out your blessing in just little bitty thimblefuls. No, you pour out a blessing on us that's just so incredibly refreshing. We can't even contain it. That's what we need today. That's what we need today. You would fill us so that we overflow with your goodness and grace. We ask you for that. 
And Father, in days to come, would you take this student body and this faculty and use them for your great kingdom's purpose? Would you continue to honor their faithfulness, bringing in students from the north, the south, the east, and the west, from across the nations of the world to come to this campus and be trained and equipped to be good messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bless, bless this school. Thank you for Dr. Aiken. Thank you for his vision. Thank you for his leadership. Keep your hand upon him, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, We hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.